Good evening. Welcome to all of you, and welcome to all who are listening on Torah Anytime and other platforms. Please press the follow button to receive Sheer updates, and please share this year with at least two friends. Slavery is a state of mind. Slavery is not simply an issue of the conditions one finds themselves in, but rather how one sees themselves and their place in the world. And therefore, to achieve cheres, true freedom, it is insufficient to simply be released from certain unwanted circumstances. One needs a rehabilitation of the spirit. Let me give one example. People who live in a position of want are oftentimes petty after all. There's a certain scarcity mentality. They feel a lack of access to what they need, and therefore a certain competitiveness sets in vis-a-vis their friends in the same situation. Think about a bunch of caged animals when a helping of meat is thrown out, and I've witnessed this with my children in the zoo during feeding hour when they throw out the red meat to the lions. And they all jump all over it because these are confined creatures with limited access. They are in a position of want, and therefore they they are consumed with petty rivalry and the like. You will see this with people in lowly circumstances, people who operate from the victim position. Magnanimity is beyond them because they live in a position of want. On the other hand, when a person has what they need, and the issue is not wealth per se, but gesund, a position of, I have what I want, I have what I need, then I can be big, then I could think big, and then I could be generous vis-a-vis other people. There's a story, they say, in this regard, regarding the great Rabietzka Hanan Specter, the leader of Russian Jewry in the 19th century. So the story goes, he had an audience with the Russian czar. And the Russian czar asked him, what is it about you Jews? There are hundreds of ethnicities in the Russian Empire, yet no one gives me the trouble, the bickering, the complaints of the Jews. Well, Rabbi Yitzhak Elchanan, the great defender of his people, was not about to allow the Haman in their times, the Russian czar, to malign the Jews. And he wanted to make it very clear, any issue with the Jews... Well, the blame and the onus lies with you, Czar. And he said, did you ever notice a school of fish swimming in the brook? When they are confined in a small space, they're invading each other's private space. We would say they're in each other's hair. Maybe it's more appropriate to say they're in each other's gills. Right? No one has any room to swim, and therefore everyone is all on top of the other. However, when you provide the fish with space, they each float agilely, gracefully. He says the same things with the Jewish people. What do you want of us? You confine us to the pale of settlements. You don't give us space. You leave us in a position of want. That's why we are not functioning in the most healthy, in the most sovereign sort of position. Well, this issue of freedom as a state of mind is pervasive throughout these parashiyos of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And I develop much about this in my book on Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, titled The Breathtaking Panorama. I want to develop one dimension tonight. 
And that is the entire issue of the wealth with which the Jewish people left Mitzrayim. As promised initially to Avram Avinu in the Brisbane Absarim, integral to the covenant of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Brisbane Absarim, was not simply the exodus, the leaving, but that we will leave with great wealth. And this materializes in last week's Parsha, Parsha Spo, when the Jewish people on their way out from Mitzrayim borrow, in quotes, the various goods and possessions from the Mitzrayim on their way out. Of course, they are pulling off a charade of sorts. We're just leaving on a three-day journey to worship our God, then presumably we're going to come back, right? So they simply borrow the goods. But the point is, they have Egyptian possessions. And then even more so in this week's Parsha, following Yamsa, following the Egyptians drowning at sea, when the Jewish people take the loot, the booty, the spoils of all of the chariots and the horses of the Mitzrayim which were bejeweled with rubies, sapphires, and all sorts of wealth, while the Jewish people take all of those gems for themselves, walking away with even greater wealth. Well, what is so important about the Rechosh Gadol? What is so important about the wealth? Certainly in the immediate sense, that during the years of sojourn in the desert which await them, they don't need these resources. Hashem is going to take care of them with man, mana from heaven, with a be'er. It is not to provide for their immediate needs, nor is the issue simply one of reparations. It's almost offensive to believe that the aggressor, the Mitzram, can undo the harm they did by paying their way out in a reparations of sorts. You know, this was a hot button, almost volatile issue in the early days of the state of Israel, when the West German government wanted to pay reparations to the state of Israel, and some such as Menachem Begin saw those reparations as blood money. Don't think you could pay your way out of the atrocities you did. So certainly the Rechosh Gadol cannot be seen as reparations. The atrocities committed by the Mitzvah are unforgivable, and it is almost petty to believe they can pay their way out of it. That is not the concept of the Rechosh Gadol. It seems to me the concept of the Rechosh Gadol was for the Jewish people to truly become B'nai Chorin, for the Jewish people to truly be free, they needed the dignity of becoming people of possessions. If they are leaving Mitzrayim feeling like schleppers, without the sense of dignity which possessions and all the opportunity which money avails one accesses without that. Necessarily, they feel like schleppers. A spiritual legacy is insufficient. The greatness of the Torah which awaits them, because we human beings, the human condition is a composite of neshama and of body and soul. Body and the need for stature in a material sense is part of who we are if we are true to ourselves and the totality of the human condition. That along with great spirituality, we need chashivas, dignity in a material sense. I'm not talking about ostentatious material possession. That's not the issue. The issue is not how much money one has. But the sense of covet, that I have what I need. I am not a schlepper. And I can walk away with a, walk around with a stride in my step, proud. That is critical to the human condition, to feel free. That is what I believe the Rechush Gadol access both to Mitzrayim and then in our Parashat Yamsuf, which is all about. And perhaps it is for this reason that the Torah highlights, certainly in the first stage of Rechush Gadol, the possessions which they access in Mitzrayim, 
The Torah highlights not simply that the Mitzrim gave them those possessions, but that the Mitzrim gave it to them with chen, with a sense of charm, as first predicted at the burning bush when Hashem promises I am going to give the people charm in the eyes of the Egyptians, motivating the Egyptians to provide them well. Hence, basically, Kasef, and so forth. They are promised not only goods, but to be provided the goods with chain, with a, holding a sense of charm in the Mitzrayim's eyes. And that is exactly what the Torah then underscores in Parshas Bo at the time of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, when it says... And hence, they walked away with possessions. Think about how powerful it was when these B'nai Yisrael faced down those Egyptian slave lords, overlords, who previously demonized them and degraded them. And now they were taking possessions, not in a sniveling, lowly way, but holding favor, holding dignity in the eyes of the Mitzrim. I believe that was redemptive, arguably as redemptive as the assuming possession of those goods themselves. The Egyptian gave them those goods as though this, it is an honor to give it to you. You are a special people. You are a free people. You are a princely people. I am providing these princes, the Bnei Yisrael, with goods for their trip in the Midbar to be Ovid Hashem. It is a privilege. These are not lowly slaves at all. These are dignified free men. Must have been powerful. Must have been redemptive. A turning of a new leaf. A new sense of soul in the people. They became princely wealthy people and honored people with a sense of covet. There's one more dimension I would like to develop here, and that is the issue of self-advocacy. It seems to me that in this process, the Jewish people learned the ability to take the initiative for themselves. For starters, we know Chazal tell us that B'nai Yisrael during Makas Choshech, during the Plague of Darkness, they actually had a look in the Mitzri storehouses to see what the Mitzrim had. Right? It was there was Choshech, there was darkness, the Mitzrim were not around to impede them access, and the Jewish people were able to appear and see what the Mitzrim had. This way, in case the Mitzrim would not provide them with the assumed chain, the assumed charm, if the Mitzrim would be resistant, they would be able to say, No, give us those goods. We know you have it. It seems to me then more than a haggling scene, more than a fish mongering scene. Do you have the goods to give me? Do you not? What the Jewish people were assuming here, appreciating that every story in the Chumash, every dimension of the story is significant, this is all part of the assuming of dignity for oneself. When they could put their foot down and say, I would like that good, and I know you have it. Don't play games on me. Think about yourself in the marketplace. Right? when you have a clerk who tells you off and doesn't want to be helpful, and the, the inner willpower to stand your ground and push ahead. Well, let me see a manager and don't let them 
give you any small talk. That is, that is very important, and that's empowering. It's important to empower your children with the ability not to be told off easily by bureaucrats or clerks and the like. That, it seems to me, is all a sense of cheres. It's all part of the sense of cheres, cultivating the sense of cheres in the Jewish people. Not only the possessions, but the self-advocacy to attain those possessions. That's a skill they're going to need as independent people who are pursuing their own destiny. And this issue of self-advocacy, I would actually like to develop from a splendid nuance in the text itself, one of those observations which can so easily slip below the radar, but once we see it, it's a golden nugget to be mined. Because let's study carefully the language of the Pesukim in last week's parsha regarding the Jewish people accessing the wealth, the Rechash well, initially it says in Parakir Aleph Pasuk Beis, Hashem tells Moshe, "Darber Noba Oznei Ha'Am VeYishalu Ishmeis Riyu VeYishameis Ruusa." You know what? You should direct the people to borrow from the Mitzrim, clay kasef uchlei zahav, silver and golden vessels. That is what you should direct them to borrow. Well, in real time, when the Jewish people actually borrow the goods, what does it say? It says here in Parak Yudbeis, Pasuk Lamet Hay, Moshe, right? They do it exactly what Moshe they did exactly what Moshe says. Listen carefully. They borrowed golden vessels, silver vessels. That makes sense. That is Kidvar Moshe. And clothing. It adds that B'nai Yisrael access not only golden vessels, not only silver vessels, but clothing. The Chumash calls this Asu Kitvar Moshe. They did what Moshe said, right? When yet seemingly they overextended themselves. They stepped beyond the prerogative. They attained not only gold and silver vessels, but also clothing. Certainly this is not a sloppy mistake in the Chumash or something imprecise, especially considering that it says, Asu Kedvar Moshe, they did what Moshe says. And all the more troubling, when we add one more Pasuk into the mix, let's go back to the scene at the burning bush, when Hashem first predicts everything that which is going to happen in the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, in the advent of the unfolding Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. He says as follows, in Shmos, Paragimel, Pasuk Chafbez, he says the Jewish people will borrow golden and silver vessels and clothing. He predicted all along they are going to access clothing for themselves. And in fact, he harp, Hashem harps most on the clothing at the burning bush. He says regarding the clothing, you are going to place that clothing upon your children. You are going to bedeck your children in fine clothing. The clothing seems to be critical. Hashem said so at the burning bush. The gold and silver vessels are insufficient. The clothing is, is especially important. That is how you are, of course, going to groom your children to leave as free, proud B'nai Yisrael. So if in fact it was always in the divine plan for them to borrow clothing as well, why was it that Moshe was told to only tell them silver and gold vessels, when in fact it is even in the divine plan to do as B'nai Yisrael did, to access Smalo's clothing as well? Well, I would like to suggest as follows. 
Of course it was in the divine plan that beyond gold and silver vessels, which can, precious vessels, which could serve some indirect function, barter them, sell them, of course the need for clothing and its immediate functions is more basic. It was by divine design that Moshe not tell the Jewish people explicitly, demand clothing for yourself. Moshe left that to the Jewish people to figure that, 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 that out themselves. Hashem says to Moshe from the get-go, of course they are going to access not only gold and silver vessels, but the necessary clothing. But don't tell them that. He tells, them, he tells Moshe, tell them to ask for gold, silver, and silver vessels, period. The Jewish people are then supposed to intuit. We are not just borrowing what we were told to borrow. We are appreciating the message of this mandate. Stand up for yourself. Stand up to those slave lords who previously looked down at you and demand your needs. Intuit all of your needs. Not only gold and silver vessels because you were directed so by Moshe. You are not robotic slaves doing what you are told to do now by Moshe instead of a slave master. No, the whole model is now different. You are seeing Moshe's mandate as empowerment to now take the initiative to advocate for yourself in a divine guided self-advocacy and extrapolate, yeah, we are supposed to ask for all of our needs. And that's exactly what they did. They asked for the clothing as well. They intuited that as well, thus achieving the original divine plan. The Jews will have not only gold and silver vessels, but the clothing they need to service their children as well. That was all along Hashem's intention, that the Jewish people learn self-advocacy. They need to figure this out themselves. That is what emerges so magnificently from an intertextual Study here when we place the psukim together, read them meticulously, appreciating the perfection of each respective pusik and what it says and what it leaves out, and thereby we figure out the blanks in the story, and the story which really the blanks are leading us to fill out. Where does it mention clothing? Where doesn't? Well, what was the dynamic here, right? In this divine guided exercise, teaching self-advocacy to a people who's learning to be free with everything that entails. And so, my friends, as we take the great message and mandate of Cheres, the glory of freedom which these parashiyas are teaching us, and apply it to our own lives, what we want to learn is simply not, the, not simply the aspiration for better conditions, but freedom is a state of mind. We want to learn empowerment. We want to leave victimhood and any sense of smallness and pettiness through a sense of personal dignity, that when I'm in a dignified place, I have what I need materially, spiritually, emotionally. I could be magnanimous. I could be a big person. right? And part of this freedom of the spirit is the message of self-advocacy, that I could stand up for myself, I could advocate for myself, I could push for my needs beyond what simply I am told to do, beyond what even mitzvahs in the Torah are telling me to do. I could, so to speak, pick up the message myself and thereby pursue everything I need. Not simply the words that were to, are told to us text and verse, but pick up on the great messages, the great themes of the Torah and self-identify with them, right? I have a great destiny awaiting me. Let me achieve it. 
let me be master of my own destiny. My own destiny, which is in fact a divine guided destiny. It's divine guided, but intended for me to achieve myself. This grand self-advocacy is the great dream of freedom, the ultimate cheres, which is the cheres of the human spirit. May we all be zocha to achieve it and inspire this dream of true cheres, sovereignty, self-advocacy in our children, in our talmidim, and everyone in our sphere of influence. Amen, kenihi Please press the follow button to receive ongoing updates regarding Yishiyun, and please share this year with at least two friends. Thank you very much.